I really want to talk about how to read the Bible. I want to have a discussion around Scripture. And it's certainly not going to be like all-encompassing. I'm not about, you're not about to leave going, I figured it out. This is how to read the Bible, and I'm good for life. But I do think, um, I do want to have some honest and open conversation about what it looks like to, to read Scripture in the right way. Or maybe not, I don't want to claim like the right way, but maybe dispel some ways that actually can get in the way and be an obstacle when you're reading the Word. can kind of prevent you from accessing what God is really trying to accomplish in His Word. And that, this phrase that I thought of, that we've all heard before, but um, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, he'll, he'll eat for a lifetime, right? You feed him for a lifetime. And when I think about reading the word, um, you know, I don't wanna just like give you an inspired word every week, right? Like, and, and, and feed you for a day or maybe for a few days. I, I wanna help equip us to approach the scriptures so that we can feast for a lifetime. My goal is not that your 20s are full of the spirit or your 30, but that your 70s and that your 80s are full of the spirit. And that you guys become good parents. I know we have parents here, but for those that aren't parents yet, I'm like, I started to realize that like, God gave me kind of this like epiphany, like, man, some of the young men I'm discipling right now, you know, one just got engaged, one single, and I'm like, oh, one day they're gonna be fathers. And I hope when they're fathers and husbands that they know how to read the scriptures, that they love the word, and they don't treat it like a Bible vitamin that's supposed to just like boost their spirit every day, just so their life can be better and they can feel better about their walk with God, but that they come to the word hungry for the spirit to understand the character of God. And so anyway, I don't want to ramble too much because let's get to it. But today I've asked one of my, my brothers in the faith to, to join me. His name's Aaron. And he's a guy that I've been doing ministry with for seven years now. Um, he's a guy I greatly respect. I, I would call him a mentor of mine. Um, he's discipled me. Um, Somehow God has allowed me to do ministry with him shoulder to shoulder, uh, which is honestly kind of a joke because he's, he, you know, he's, and I'm, you know, and, uh, but we've, we've literally traveled the world together. We've trained church planners together. We've done a lot of work together and uh, his name's Aaron Etheridge. So Aaron, come on up. Give Aaron a, a warm welcome. <laughs> uh, got that fresh haircut looking beautiful. Um, so if you don't know who this is, this is Aaron Etheridge. Um, he has, he campus pastors at the cannery, so I stole him this week, man. The cannery can get over it. Um, but uh, anyway, this is, I love you, man. As we were worshiping, and, and as, as we were worshiping, we were, I was just praying and just thinking about how sweet it is that, man, this dude has so much going on in his life, and uh, that you would just, honestly, when I asked you, I just kind of like very gently threw out the idea. I was like, you know, what if like, you know, we talked about how to read scripture at the Ruby, and you so quick, you were like, 100%. And we just started going over dates. And this dude loves the Bible. And he spent a lot of years studying the Word. And his natural gifting is a teacher of the Word. That's where he's at, like, in my opinion, you're at your, like, peak, is when you're just talking about the Scriptures. And so uh, today is going to be uh, kind of, kind of podcasty, kind of an interview kind of thing. And I will say, it'll be easy to miss some of, like, the gold nuggets today if you're not really paying attention. And so what I would encourage of us as a family is to take notes, um, however you take notes. If you need to pull out your phone and write down a quote or something or write down a question, I really encourage you to do that. Um, we're gonna have a little slideshow that's gonna help you follow along, but um, I think there's a lot of wisdom to be gleaned from today. And so anyway, lean in, pay attention. Before we get into the discussion and some of the objectives, brief overview, who are you? 30 seconds or less. First, thanks for letting me be here. Yeah. Um, you act like it was like this big ask, this like hard thing for me to come. I'm like so excited to be here with you guys. I realized 
I've been a part of Ethos since 2013, and this is the first time I've ever been to the Ruby on a Sunday morning. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Like, so excited to be here with you guys. Um, so my name is Aaron. As you said, I'm married to Amy, amazing, amazing uh, wife, mother, woman of God. Have four kids. Um, I forget what am I doing. I'm just introducing myself. You're so counseling. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I practiced as a marriage and family therapist for several years before I became a pastor, um, and I practiced in multiple places in multiple contexts, and then ended up being a part of a church planning team in British Columbia uh, for about five years before I ended up moving to Nashville. Moved here to help start Onward Church Planting with Dave Clayton and ended up being a pastor at Ethos. That was never the intention, but kind of what happened. Um, so I've been here for about nine, almost nine years. I've uh, been in Nashville now, and I've really enjoyed it. And so passionate about disciple-making, passionate about church planting, passionate about the Word of God. Um, just got back from Egypt yesterday, mm. which was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Got back about 1230. So he feels good. He's wide awake. He's alert. So <laughs> He's ready. I don't... I haven't been drinking coffee for a while, and I'm drinking some this morning. So either I'm going to be, like, really on it, or I'm going to be really tired from jet lag, or I'm going to be really jittery. Those are the options that we're going to get. We're going to see what, what happens as we That's go. That's good. You're going to speak with fear and trembling, but it's going to be caffeine-driven. Yes, yeah. it will okay. be caffeine, um, caffeinated oh, trembling. Thank you. That joke went oh, better than... Yeah. Went, there you right. go. Way to go, dude. Uh, Way to go. All right. So uh, I want to go ahead and outline some objectives for, for this morning. Uh, I want to get to it because... We're, we're talkers. So, I, I'm, in fact, let me get my, I gotta watch the time. This could go an That's hour smart. by accident. Yeah, yes. yeah, all right, 1037. Smart. We're aware of the time. Just okay. bring me in. All right, um, well, it's me, really. So, three objectives. First, I wanna talk through just kind of identifying the lens through which we read scripture. One, one epiphany that I've had recently in my journey with scripture, and by recently in the past like five ish years, is that we actually read scripture through our own lens. Uh, that may be obvious to some of you, but I don't know, when it's like called God's word and you read it, you can think that you're reading it going, God, what are you saying? But you play a big role in what you think God might be saying sometimes. <laughs> and so we're gonna dig into that, just talk through what can kind of shape how you read scripture. Uh, secondly, we're gonna talk about how to approach the Bible as a whole. Last week, I introduced this word called meta narrative big story of God. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then as we are embarking on our series in 1 Samuel, starting next week, uh, all the way through June, we'll be in 1 Samuel. I want to talk specifically through how to read historical narrative. That's the literary style that 1 Samuel is written in. Um, That'll probably be our shortest conversation point. We actually cover a whole lot in those first two. And in 1 Samuel, we got some real specific questions. So, all right, that's our objectives. So first identifying our lens, talking through the lens in which we read scripture. Um, Honestly, man, you kind of, I feel like you were one of the main people that enlightened me in this, but when I remember you talking about this this tool called the Worldview Funnel, we want to talk about that right now, but you talked about how we all see our life through a lens, we understand God through a lens. There can be a lot of variables that play a part in this. It can be like the family you grew up in the parents or lack thereof, the type of church you went to, the culture you grew up in, like the Western hemisphere is far different than the Eastern hemisphere, right? Like Asia versus North America, two very different places. And how all of that can play an impact or have a big impact in how you see God, how you understand the word. So give me just like a quick talk through 
how do, how do those variables, how can they kind of reach in and impact how you even read the Bible when you open it and, and just start going? Yeah, you know, I think the, the reality is I think that all of us, we have to be honest with ourselves, is that every single one of us has some sort of bias or, or perception when we come to the Word of God, every one of us. And so the first step in, in coming to the Word, I think, is being able to identify what are the things that have shaped my bias? What are the things that have shaped my perception and my perspective? And are, are, is anybody else in here, a marriage and family therapist, or studying to be MFT? Front row over here. <laughs> anybody else? So Do they call them that, MFTs? M- MFT. Any other MFTs MFT up in here? All right. So, so the, the thing you, the, one, of the thing, one of the theories that you learn about in this, this field of thing is called systems theory. And systems theory basically says, hey, there are all these different systems in your life that are working to shape the way you view yourself, the way you view the world, the way you view God. Your perception of reality is constantly being shaped. And so uh, a lot of times we call that worldview. And your worldview has been shaped by a wide variety of factors. Everything from the family you grew up in, to the type of education you received, to the country you were born into, uh, you know, all of these things are shaping you. Every day you have forces that are shaping you, forming you in the way you view yourself and the way you view the world. And so what that means is that the way we approach the Bible is also being shaped and conditioned by the different forces, influences, things in our lives. So... Um, you know, I, I, I think one of the things we have to be honest with ourselves on, and this is just true of everyone in this room, I know this to be true. There's very few things you could sit in front of a room this size and say, I know this is true about every single one of us. But this is one of those things. Your worldview is vastly different than the worldview of the people who wrote this book. Vastly different. Your worldview, your perception of yourself, your place in the world, and how the world functions um, is vastly different than Jesus's. It's vastly different than the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul. And, and so when we approach Scripture, one of the things we have to ask is, hey, am I going to come to the Holy Scriptures trying to like project my worldview onto it and trying to get the Bible to fit into my worldview? Or am I going to allow the scriptures to shape and change my worldview, Hmm. my perception? And as a follower of Jesus, my job is to come to the scriptures very open-handed and humbly and going, okay, I want this narrative to shape my worldview. I want to be molded by it. I don't want to force it to try to be molded by what I think it should be. Um, so this is really challenging for a variety of reasons, but um, am I answering your question? Oh, keep going, okay. baby. So, so for each of us, I think as we come to it, you know, just answer the question, hey, how has, how has your uh, family life, your upbringing, influenced your perception of yourself or the world? So for example, you know, the Bible talks a lot about God as father. And there's, you probably have a perception of what a father is what a father looks like, whether he's good, whether he's compassionate, whether he's present, whether he's absent, whether he's trustworthy, whether he's loving. You have all these perceptions of father. And and if you don't deal with that perception before you come to scriptures, already you're hitting a roadblock in understanding God's character because of the way your worldview has been shaped by the role of your father in your life. 
These are the kind of things we have to begin to look at if we want to come to Scripture honestly and not allow our predisposed biases or our, um, our perception of reality to shift how we understand what Scripture is saying. In your, in your experience discipling, I know that you've got your discipleship groups and you all talk about the Bible a lot. I know that through being a campus pastor, you're always having conversations with people about their walk with God. What is, I guess, what's a common approach to Scripture that maybe isn't sinful or like all the way wrong, but it can hinder, can get in the way of actually getting to what the Word has for us? What, what kind of approaches to the Bible can prove to be maybe unhelpful? Um, you know, I think, I think one, one that I see a lot is the tendency to uh, take little, little verses or passages here or there and to use them as like a, a broad stroke over everything. So I've read this verse here, so therefore it applies all the time. You know, I think one example of this, um, you know, so in Mark 10, Jesus has this interaction with who we call the rich young ruler. You know, and he comes to Jesus, he goes, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus starts walking through basically the Torah with him. He says, hey, here's all the things you're supposed to do. And he's like, all these things I've done since I was young. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything you own, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the dude's like, oh. you know, he, Jesus said that he knew he was wealthy. He knew he was rich. He knew he was finding his identity in wealth. And so he told him, sell everything. Now, remember the guy's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Some people will read that and they'll take that passage and they'll go, oh my goodness, in order to inherit eternal life, everybody, everywhere, all the time has to sell all of their things and give Mm -hmm. to the poor completely. And like, it can lead to some really misconstrued conclusions about what the word is saying to me. And I think that's one mistake. I see people do that with, with small verses and they get, when you do that, you get really tripped up. Because the truth is, you know, you might read Romans 10 and it says, hey, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we go, okay, that's great. And then you read another place, uh, like in one of Peter's epistles, he talks about the waters of baptism that now save you. And we go, wait, wait a minute. So salvation, he says, here, call upon the Lord. Here it talks about baptism. Which one is it? Ah, and you can get in this real like mental dilemma. And so one mistake I see is that people take, they read little phrases totally isolated from their context, and they draw far-reaching conclusions about those little phrases. Um, I could never say a sentence like that. Yes, you could. That was really totally beautiful. Could. I don't even know what I said. They take little sentences, kind of ignoring the context, and make far-reaching conclusions. That was really <laughs> Is that good. what I did? Yeah, that was good. Like that. Um, so I think that's one mistake. I think another, another mistake, and we talked about this earlier. I yep. love the, what you called it. What was your phrase? Like you, daily Bible the, vitamin. The daily Bible vitamin. I think this is a really common mistake in reading the scriptures. As followers of Jesus, we're told, hey, read your Bible, read your Bible. So we approach the Bible as though it is like this Instagram daily inspirational thought for the day, (laughs) you know? And so it's like I open the Bible in the morning and what I'm looking for is this little nugget just to give me enough encouragement to face my day today to make it through, you know, and be positive and be, and, and, you know, that is not what this was written for. Now, does the Bible have lots of inspirational, encouraging things to say? Absolutely. There's all kinds of good stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to approach reading Scripture as a follower of Jesus as, I just need my daily shot of encouragement and positivity, is not a really helpful thing because then you wind up in some Scriptures you know, that you're reading and you're like, there is absolutely nothing positive in this. This is the most depressing. You end up reading Lamentations and you're like, oh my goodness, this is the worst. I mean, I'm in the wrong religion. Literally dude. the, the entire 
book is a lament. I mean, the whole thing. And so if you're, if you're counting on your daily reading to be this sort of like shot in the arm encouragement, um, it's not too great. And I think another... Uh, well, actually, I want to name something real quick, because I think even if you wouldn't name it that way, I do think this is one that, uh, this applies to me to this day. I read the word and I'm waiting for a Holy Spirit firework moment. Like, uh, God, what's the inspire? Even if it's not encouraging, like what's the like word from heaven to blow my mind today? And I think that ends up being a pressure point through which we assess that I do it right. And I don't think we'd ever think in those terms, but it ends up being what's happening. We, we go, did this go well? Did I do this right? And if not, well, then you have a problem that didn't ever need to exist. And it keeps you on these like short-term thinking processes instead of like bigger picture stuff that we'll get into. In yeah, I think we, there's a lot of pressure put on us as followers of Jesus. You're told, read, read the Bible, read the Bible. And so we go, man, reading the Bible sounds awesome. Must be incredible. And then we crack it open on a morning and it's the first thing we do. We're still tired and we're yawning. We're falling asleep through half of it. And we're like, like, wait, this is, this is the thing. <laughs> this is what's supposed to like light me up and fire me up. Like, Preach. and it doesn't do it. And you end up starting your day feeling discouraged, feeling like you're not a good Christian. I must not be as close to Jesus as I thought I was. Cause this thing didn't speak to my heart and light me on fire and yada, yada, yada. So that's not, that's not really the way the Bible is meant to work. It's not why it's there. The, the last ch- uh, challenge I think, or mistake we make is is when it comes to the challenging things in the Bible. You know, there's some hard stuff in here, hard to understand. Uh, I'm, I've been in Numbers, and there's this moment in Numbers where basically God tells the Israelites to commit genocide, like to go in and take this land and kill all these people, destroy them, and it's like, whoa! Like, oh, that like really does not align with how I understand the world or who I understood God to be, and it's really challenging. And so one mistake that some people make when they read the word is when they come to these challenging moments, these places of tension, is to kind of go, well, that's probably, that's not really true, or that's not really who God is, or that's not what, and, and they're tempted to just put the challenging stuff over here and pretend like we don't have to pay attention to those parts. Yeah, I just pretend I didn't read it. I don't even yeah, logically do anything. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm just going to turn no, the page. That's yep. too hard. That's for somebody on. else to deal with. We, that's not really part of the Bible I'm supposed to pay attention to. And we skip the hard stuff or we skip the things that feel confusing. And the reality is, beloved, the, the Holy Spirit works in you to help you understand this. If we will allow ourselves to embrace the tension, live in community, like pay attention to these things, which we're going to get into some of that. I know. But so I, I think one of the mistakes I'll just say is, is, is trying to skip the hard stuff and trying to pretend that, that, that that's not really part of the Bible I'm supposed to pay attention to. No, the whole thing. Apostle Paul says to his beloved disciple Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. And, and you know what scripture he's talking about there? Do you know what scriptures, what scriptures did Timothy have in the first century before he had the New Testament? Old Testament. He had the Hebrew scriptures. So the Apostle Paul looks at his young disciple Timothy and he says, hey, all of this, all the Holy Scriptures, God-breathed, useful for teaching and encouraging and equipping, admonishing. So, so we don't have to feel this like, oh, well, that part's not. No, all of it is from the Lord. All of it can be used. We don't have to like skip past the hard stuff. Yeah, and one little side note, and I want to keep moving this along, but patience 
is a rare commodity today. I think it's at least in myself when I'm reading the word. And so when there is something that is, I guess, on, its, on the surface problematic, confusing, conflicting, we typically, if we're on that daily, that daily Bible vitamin mentality, the conflict will not be resolved. That numbers conflict. Even with decades of ministry, so much time in the word, you've been discipled. I'm guessing that conflict in numbers, that story you read, didn't just get resolved in five minutes, right? Like that's no, something. That, so how do, how do we posture ourselves when confronted with those moments? Yeah, I think it's, you got to be okay with some tension when you read the word of God. Um, you got to be okay with the fact, remember, remember, the question when I come to this is not, am I going to get this book to mold to my worldview? It's, Lord, how, how are you trying to shift how I understand the world? When I say understand the world, Lord, how are you shifting how I understand the past, the history of the world? Lord, how are you shifting the way I understand this current moment that we find ourselves in? Lord, how are you asking me to shift my expectations of the future? All of these things are spoken to in the Holy Scriptures, and so when I come to a place of tension, um, it's okay if I can't resolve it immediately. It's okay if it takes some time. When I find those places of tension, and you know, when I'm reading those places of like, that doesn't really align, um, I typically try to bring it to a brother or sister in community. Like, I'll come, hey, have you ever read this before? What, what do you make of that? What do you think of that? Um, I'll try to get a deeper understanding of the context. There's so many resources out there. The Bible Project is a great resource. I think you guys have talked about that here before. Yeah. Um, you know, where like, I'll dive in and try to, what do others say about this moment? Now, there's a whole lot of people saying a whole lot of things about the Bible that are not helpful in any way whatsoever. This is why community is really important. So yeah. bringing it to one another, looking in resources, allowing yourself space to be in process as the Holy Spirit is continuing to work things out in you. So take, okay, let's transition. Second, second goal here. If we're trying to take off our lens and we're trying to put on the right lens to read scripture through, I think it's important we understand kind of the agenda of the original authors. But a word that I brought up last week that I want you to help us kind of elaborate on, the word meta-narrative, which is sort of, if we just approach the Bible in general, if someone just opens up, whether it's Genesis, 1 Samuel, Proverbs, Matthew, Romans, like all the different types of scripture, Talk about meta narrative. What does that word mean to you, and, and how does that impact how we read, no matter what book we're opening up to? So that's a big question. This this book, it is it is a story first and foremost. The whole thing, from beginning to end, it is telling a story. It is not this. It is not a story about my life or how I can be a better me. It's not a story about even our cultural moment. It is a story about the one true living, creating, holy God. It's a story about him. And it is the, the word meta narrative basically says, hey, the overarching story of these scriptures are what God is doing to redeem a broken humanity and creation. It's the, it's the re, another word I use for meta narrative is the redemptive narrative or the redemptive arc of scripture. The whole of scripture is telling the story about how God is leveraging all that he is to bring about redemption for all of creation, to, to redeem creation back to its intended beauty and purpose. That's what the whole story is about. 
Um, and, and it's amazing when you see this story because then you start realizing each portion of the story that you read, it's like a different chapter of this big story. Um, and so a really helpful resource um, is a book called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible. I think you said you guys have talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, by Max Anders. By Max yeah. Anders. Um, it, it's super simple book. And you will feel like a child when you go through it, but you should go through it, absolutely. Um, You know, when I read it, suddenly things just started clicking. I understood the big story of Scripture. So now I can open up to a really weird book like Lamentations that I mentioned earlier, and I can see where this book fits in the redemptive story. It's It's not like this book wasn't written to... Aaron Etheridge in 2022 in Nashville, Tennessee, it was written to a specific audience and a specific purpose at a moment in the redemptive arc of what God is doing in humanity. And so when you understand the book... And, and, what, and that story is still happening today. I yes, think it's a big piece of the yes, narrative. Yeah, so when you understand the redemptive story that God's telling, we go, oh, wait a minute. This story is still unfolding. Your story, your place in history is actually still a part of the story that this book is telling. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Jesus is coming again. (laughs) Like, he's coming. That's the reality. The story is still unfolding, and we get to play a part in that story. And so, and, when, and that's not just inspirational. That's like that's just like a fact about scripture and the meta narrative. That's it's just the story still, that it tells. Yeah, yeah that's the going. story that it tells. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's helpful when you understand the meta narrative, the redemptive narrative. It helps you to know, okay, when I'm reading this book, what was happening in that moment of redemptive story? First Samuel, for example. You know, for Samuel, is it's a moment in the nation of Israel. Who's the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel is a people group that God is using to bless all of humanity because of a promise that he made to a guy named Abraham. And so you read the story, you get to 1 Samuel, and you go, okay, this is just another chapter in the story of how God is trying to set apart a people group, a nation, in order to bless all of humanity because of a promise. It's God making good on a promise he made all the way back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And so when you understand, when you understand where it fits in the story, you can see what God is trying to accomplish and how he's doing that. So good. And I think this is, when you understand like the Bible is like this story and so much of the Old Testament is man choosing any leader but the Lord. Like, first thing we're going to get there, they want a king. They want a king that will be the perfect leader, and there is no human that can fit the bill. And over and over again, these leaders rise up and they fall, and they rise up and they fall. And it should leave us thirsty for a man that will come, and he will not fail, the perfect son of God that will lead a sinless life, die a death that only he could die to take on our sin, blah, 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 blah. And when we have that meta-narrative understanding and Actually, am I getting ahead of myself? We're going to get to the hero thing, aren't we? Let's not, let, me, let me stop. Let me stop. You're leading this, not me. So I'm, <laughs> no, you, no, I'm not. You tell I me, can't be. I can't you tell be. me where to go, but um, I'll okay. go there. Forget what I'm saying forever. Um, <laughs> when, uh, let's, let's, let's pause there. Okay, are y'all good? Are we still here? We, we, we rocking? Okay. When someone uh, opens the Bible, the thing that I've been wrestling with for our family is kind of what's the bar for an everyday Christian? It's my full-time job to be a pastor, so the bar for me is gonna be way higher in terms of my knowledge of scripture, right? That just makes sense. I don't need to come here and preach out of ignorance. I need to be well-studied. But for the everyday Christian, full-time job, two kids, comes down like, I've been challenged with going, okay, literary style is important. Context is important. 
what should the expectation of an everyday Christian be when they choose to open a book? How much should they know? Is it just for the pastor to dig into Bible project? Like, what would you say to the everyday Christian? What should they know when they start reading a book of the Bible? I, you know, I, I mean, what is, an, what is an everyday Christian? What is a normal follower of Jesus? A, a, a normal follower of Jesus is someone who's going, I want the worldview of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the heart of Jesus to shape who I am. I want, I want to be molded by him, not expect him to be molded by my perceptions, expectations. And so, um, you know, when I was a therapist, before I, ever, before I was ever a pastor, like, I loved this book. And, and I wanted to spend time reading it. And I, I sometimes needed help in understanding it. So I think I, I, all of us as followers of Jesus, it's not a, hey, you want to be a Christian, read your Bible. You better do it. It's not that kind of like performance expectation. It is a, I want to know God. Like, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. I want to know his heart. And oh, I need this to understand who he is, what he's been doing, what he's doing, what he's calling me to partner with him. And I need this book to do that. And so I would say if, if you're an everyday normal follower of Jesus, not a pastor, absolutely like, Try to understand this word as best you can. The, the truth is there are so many resources available today yeah. that, that have not been available. So when I, you know, when I was working as a therapist full-time, wasn't a pastor, you know, I would read this regularly. And you know, the, the internet, I could use that to try to find, but who knows what you're going to find. Nowadays, seriously, like if, if you're, let's say you're sitting down and you're like, okay, I'm going to read First, first Samuel. I would really encourage you, go to the Bible Project, watch their little overview on the book of First Samuel. AKA, and that go to will, YouTube. Go to Search YouTube. Search 1 Samuel Bible, Bible Project. Project. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to YouTube, First Samuel Bible Project. Watch their overview for that book. It will give you enough background to be able to understand what's happening in that book where you are. Um, in like six minutes. In like, yeah, they're short, bite-sized videos, super accessible. Um, and it will help you have some understanding of what it is that you're reading so you know how to interpret it. I, I, don't, think, I don't think that's like a place just for pastors. It's not just for pastors. All of us as followers of Jesus should have a, a desire, a hunger to like want to understand this more because it's shaping who we are. Touch on what you're, when, when you open the Bible today, what are your expectations? When you read the Bible, what are like your expectations when you read scripture? It, it really depends on why I'm reading it. So I, I have a daily regimen of reading the word. And so when I start my day in the word, I'm, I'm not necessarily reading it for knowledge. I'm not reading it to like get smarter. Um, I, I'm coming to it. Uh, those things happen. Like I, those, I get smarter, you know, those things happen. But I, I, I come to it really going, God, I want to know you. Like that's it. That's why I read the Bible every day. God, I want to know you. And so I open it up and I read it. And some days, there are days where I have these aha moments, and some days there aren't. Some days I read it and I'm like, what the heck did I just read? Like, I don't even remember what I just read, you know? But it's like, it's Mm. a daily habit, it's a daily rhythm to try to read it. And so when I come to it, I want to know God. So I'm asking the question, God, what does this tell me about who you are? What does this say about you? Um, Now, even in that, there are some, there are some non-negotiables for me on who God is that I think the whole overarching story reveals. So one, God is the almighty, not me. He is the almighty. 
He's a creator. I find my life in him, not the other way around. Uh, Two, that God is working for the redemption of humanity. Like that, that is the story that's being told. Three, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is the name by which he reveals himself. And so I I need those to be true. Um, And those like, those are non-negotiable things for me. So that when I come to a challenging place in in the story, where God does something that doesn't make sense according to my modern sensibilities or my Western worldview, I go, okay, that feels like it's opposite these things. But I know it can't be because I trust this is true about who God is. So as I'm reading, when I come across challenging things, those things remain unshakable. God's the Almighty. God is working for redemption. He's working for our good. Um, and the, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. So when I come to the Word, God, who are you? What do you want me to know about you? But then also, who's humanity? Like, what is humanity? I'm trying to understand myself and my place amongst humanity. So I'll ask him, like, God, what do you want me to know about humanity? And then third, I'll ask God, what is it you want me to do in response to these things? Now, there's not something every single day. There's not always a concrete every single day, like today, I'm going to do this. But oftentimes there is. Sometimes it's just a shift in the way that I think. But those are the things, and, and that's honestly, when I teach my kids, I train, I've given my kids four words to understand how to read the Bible. And the words are, God, me, do, tell. Like that's the, when I tell them, hey, when you read the Bible, God, me, do, tell. And it's God, what does it say about God? Two, what does it say about me or all of humanity? Three, what do you want me to do about it? And fourth, who do you want me to tell? And so when I, like my kids read the Bible, they know those four questions. God, me, do tell. They're they're asking God, what does it say about you? God, what's it say about me and humanity? God, what do you want me to do in response to this? And God, is there anybody you want me to share this with? If you will take those four questions and apply that to your daily reading of scripture, um, man, it, it, it can really shift the way that you engage and encounter this book. And I would add, be open-handed with that approach. Uh, it won't always be clean. Like it won't always be like a, like a paper you're filling out. Like, oh, perfect! I know all four of these answers. Like, oh, it's perfect for me every day. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But for, for someone like me who's not quite Type A and who feels pressure, if if I'm like, I don't know what this tells me about me. I mean, this is a pretty weird story. It's like just put a question mark, move on. But just more learn the story. Blah, blah. Okay, I, w- I want to keep moving us because time. Um, Throughout all of this, I think we have to keep resisting the pressure to be a finished product, uh, both in who we are, but also our theology about who God is. Uh, A point you made in our conversation this morning, writers in the Old Testament are crying out to God out of frustration and confusion about his character while submitting to his authority. So like, there's like this weird world where we get to go, I don't understand this. This flies in the face of everything my instincts are telling me should be right. Uh, it disagrees with me. I'm not settled. I do not have a theology on this. I only have confusion. But I also love you, submit to you, while also, while also, while all, you know, and it's okay to have a while also season of, man, I'm, I'm struggling, but this is what I'm, I'm feeling. So I think the danger comes, as you pointed out this morning, whenever you read the word and go, I'm now, I now have a critiquing spirit of God. I am critiquing him. I'm judging him. I am telling God he's wrong. That's probably when we've crossed the line, <laughs> probably. Uh, that's when we've kind of crossed the line. Is that, is that a fair way of saying that? Yes. The, I, you know, what is it that the Lord requires? A humble and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. 
That's what, that's what David says. You know, like, what, what was he looking for me? He wanted a humble heart. And so that's where, as I approach the word, I'm constantly aware of the fact, okay, God, you're up here. And I'm down here trying to make sense of things. And so help me to come to the word with this humble posture before you, knowing that you're the almighty, knowing that you're gracious and compassionate, knowing you're working for redemption, knowing you're working for my good. I trust in all of that. So when it doesn't make sense, I'll be humble. I don't get to put God on trial based on what I read in this book. Um, I come to it humble, open-handed. Lord, I just want to know you more. Help me to know you more. Um, Mm. So, yeah. That's really good. Mm. All right, we're going to wrap up here. Um, We have one more point, but it's a a lot shorter. So you guys still good? Stick with me here, because now we're going to talk about 1 Samuel specifically. Um, So there's really, I think, probably just two things I want to talk about. Historical narrative. And then also I want you to talk about the hero reading through the lens of like heroes in the Bible. Because during VBS, you learn like David's the hero, man, because of his faith. Look at the slingshot and the stones and the giant falls. You're like, wow, David. And, but as you get older, you start reading about David and you're like, whoa, David, like that's not chill at all. <laughs> like that's not cool. Murderer, adulterer. Yeah, yeah, oh not good, God. not good. It's another church scandal. So, um, so <laughs> 1 Samuel's historical narrative, as we read 1 Samuel, Historical narrative. What's historical narrative doing, just simply put? So 1 Samuel, um, what you have happening is you've got the people of Israel. Remember, they, are, they have become a nation because of a promise that God made all the way back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. He told Abraham, hey, hey Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through your family, through that nation, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, the rest of the Old Testament story are talking about how God is bringing that about how he's making it happen. And so in 1 Samuel, you've got the people of Israel. They've been ruled by a series of judges. That's gone okay, but now they want a king. They want a king over them. And so 1 Samuel is a story how they're, they're shifting from being a theocracy, a, a nation that is governed by their beliefs and their united beliefs in God. They're shifting from being a theocracy to being a monarchy. They want a human king over them. And so the, there's no, you know, the, the danger is we go, oh, first Samuel. Samuel must be the hero. It's named after him. He's got to be the main character. Well, Samuel's not the hero of the book. David is not the hero of the book. King Saul's not the hero of the book. Eli is not the hero of the book. The hero is always, always, always Yahweh God. God is the hero. He's the one working for redemption. What's amazing and what it reveals to us about his character is that he even chooses to use screwed up, broken people to help carry out his purpose of redemption. And so when you get to 1 Samuel, we're reading all these stories of these different people that God chooses to use their life to bring about his chosen end of redemption, even though they're broken and flawed. And there's so many things you can unpack in that uh, about God. But when I read these stories, what I try to get my mind around is going, man, God is like the master strategist that for centuries has been going, how am I going to redeem what humanity has just really made a mess of? And he is slow and patient, not wanting anyone to perish. And he goes slow and intentional. And even though it takes centuries with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. This story is another chapter in the story of his redemptive plan to bring about the redemption of all creation. And so it's a, it's a moment, a snapshot in the redemptive arc of what God is doing 
through the life and the people of Israel. That's good. So the last thing I want to cover, we've already covered some of those already, um, but life hacks. like That's great. I didn't know that was behind us. That's yeah, there awesome. you go. Um, but, but life hacks. So when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about as we're trying to journey through Scripture, if our hope is, okay, I'm going to read numbers until I just got revival in my soul. Like that might be really hard, right? But there are ways to approach the Old Testament. We've talked about how to read Scripture, but what things should, I guess, I don't even know how to word this question, but what things should almost be paired with our journey of reading scripture? Because if scripture alone is not like our daily Bible vitamin that will sustain our soul, it will, it will be a word from God and it will lead us. But life hacks, reading the Bible, what are some good things to keep in mind? So, you know, um, if you think that reading the Bible is synonymous with growing as a Christian, you're probably going to be disappointed at times. You know, my grandmother, my grandmother read through the entire Bible every year for like the last 20 years of her life. And if you went to her and said, hey, what, what did God say to you this morning? She'd probably be, she would have been a little confused because in her, in her mind, she's like, no, I'm reading this just because I want to know him more. It was not the only thing she did to cultivate her intimacy with Jesus. She read it because she wanted to know the story. She believed it was her story. And so I've, I've kind of taken the same posture, like I'm going to read it every day. And some days I might get something out of it. Some days I may not. But it is not the only thing I'm doing to cultivate intimacy with Jesus in my life. I'll read the word. I'll spend time praying. I love being here this morning. Like I got here like nine, I got here like 920, 925 and spent the rest of the time with you guys just praying. Just like that taking time to be still before the Lord. Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. So I want to read scripture. I want to meditate before the Lord. Uh, sometimes if I'm in a hard passage in scripture, so like if I've got a daily kind of plan that I'm working, that, that's probably the most basic thing I can encourage you to do. Don't just like haphazardly just open this thing and try to read it. <laughs> It'll be real confusing. Create a plan. I have a plan. Like I know what I'm reading when I get up in the morning and I open the word. I've got a checklist. I'm working through the whole Bible, one book, one chapter at a time. And so, but if I get to a place in that plan that just feels kind of hard, like when I was working through Numbers, working through Leviticus, working through Lamentations, I also will supplement that with some time in the Psalms. I'll let worship be a part of my morning routine and prayer be a part of my morning routine. So don't expect your time in the Word to always be the only thing that's stirring up and cultivating your love for King Jesus. Yeah, and we're... You know, I don't want to swing the pendulum too far. I was reading First Timothy the other day, and the most unassuming passage, the, I thought the Holy Spirit was wrecking my heart. I was having like revival in my car. I was just like, what? I don't even know why this word is like blowing my mind so much right now, but I was just thanking the Lord. I think that's important. So if you don't come to the Bible going, Holy Spirit revelation right now, let's get it. Like, that's probably a helpful thing. And then when it does happen, because it will, it is the living word of God. I think it'll, those moments are just special. It's like, wow, the Holy Spirit's ministering to me through this word. Be expectant, but don't let your identity in Christ be dependent upon whether or not you hear something in the word that morning. Yeah. If you start your day and you don't hear this fire message every single morning, that's, that means you're human. <laughs> that's okay. Like, don't, don't gauge how you're doing as a Christian based on what you, whether or not you hear some great revelatory thing every morning in the word of God. Yep. That doesn't have any bearing on where you, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. <laughs> that is a true statement. If you are a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, you've been seated with him in the heavenly realms. 
And so you don't get to gauge, how, you know, where you are, how you're doing based on how you feel when you read the Bible. We, we come to the Bible very open-handedly and humble, trusting in the Lord to do what he wants to do. Yeah, so I want to I wanna transition from taking it from here to us just talking as, as friends. And so uh, if you're new here, this is the uncomfortable part for you. If you're not new here, this is probably still the uncomfortable part for you. Um, but I, I want to take a chance just to talk uh, with those around us um, about just two pretty simple questions here. Um, I, I want you to identify, like, how have you approached Scripture in the past? So when you've come to the Word... What have your expectations been or what lens have you read through? And then secondly, what's just one thing that maybe you learned? Um, what's an epiphany you've had? So if you want to circle up your chairs in groups of three or four, do that. If you want to talk to your neighbor right beside you, I know we have a full room, but I challenge you, like right now, talk to at least one person around you and just kind of talk about these questions, all right? And then we're going to pass out communion and take communion together. But take this conversation further, right here, right now. These are the two questions for us. If it helps to go ahead and circle up your chairs so we can feel the room moving, we can feel the participation, why don't we do it? Circle up your chairs. Yeah, get moving.